Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. So Andrew, Jessica, the whole Fouché family heading down to California to spend time with extended family out there. And um, I think they might even be on the road at the moment, uh, maybe passing through Oregon. And so, Andrew, if you guys are listening to us, uh, we're grateful for you guys, praying for your safety. Also, keep your eyes on the road and uh, try not to turn off this phone as you, as you go. Um, we uh, have been in the book of Mark. We're about 62% of the way through the book of Mark. Uh, and after this sermon, we'll be 62.5% of the way through, so which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, so uh, Chad, could you throw the, uh, the slides on the back screen as well, do that little stage display thing there? Yeah, cool. Um, and so today we're going to be in the end of chapter 10 in Mark, uh, chapter 10. And before we do that, uh, I, I do want to share a quick story and uh, maybe ask you guys what you think or maybe some of your experiences too as you kind of just process this as we begin. But for those of us in the room that wear glasses, I'm wearing contacts right now. And so uh, do you remember the first time that you got your glasses and like you were able to see the world? You know, like uh, it's it was um, probably a... A moment of revelation, wasn't it? You know, I, I remember I was about 11 or 12, and I had an idea of stars out there, you know, like, but I was never really, like, moved by them. I'd look up, and I'd say, oh, yeah, there's those blurry dots. I didn't know why my dad was so fascinated by them. He's like, oh, that's the, you know, this one and that one, constellations, and I'm looking at it going, yeah, cool, you know, and, like, I don't really understand why people were moved by them. But thankfully, my parents got my vision checked by my eye doctor and uh, went home with new glasses and, you know, that smell of the new glasses, for those of you who know I'm talking about, like the spray they put on there. It's just like so cool. And I felt like I was seeing the world for the first time, you know, it's like, like HD, R, whatever the things are these days. And I'm like, wow. And the uh, leaves of the trees have like these beautiful definitions to them, all this kind of stuff. And then uh, I grew up in Texas, and so my family lived out sort of in the country area. And I look up and I can see stars uh, at night. And for the first time, it's like I'm seeing them as they're meant to be seen, these beautiful like diamonds of light on the velvety background of the night sky. It's, it, I was moved by it. And before, like I thought I knew what stars were. I thought I knew what they looked like. But it wasn't until my eyesight was checked, my vision was corrected, that uh, when I went back, it changed, it changed me. And now I love looking at stars. And it's hard to see stars these days with light pollution and all that kind of stuff. But if you have an opportunity, uh, go out to someplace dark at night and look up and see the night sky. Uh, today's sermon is going to be on this uh, idea of clear vision. Um, we are right in the middle of uh, Mark chapter two, or Mark chapter ten. Sorry, we're right in the middle of the book of Mark, and we're at the end of chapter ten. And uh, we're going to look at page eight sixty nine. If you guys are searching for it, eight sixty nine in the uh, pew Bibles in front of you. 
Um, and the story that we're going to look at is a story where Jesus encounters a blind man. But this is the second encounter in the book of Mark that we're going to see. Uh, the book of Mark is laid out in a, a pretty unique way. Um, Mark opens up the book by saying, this is who Jesus is. Like Mark gives away his, his uh, understanding. He goes, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But then that's like the last time you hear from Mark's personal like, side. And then the rest of the time, he's telling you the story. And he's kind of wanting the reader to pay attention to, to the question, who is Jesus? So that as you read about Jesus and you think about what he's doing and saying, and you see how people are reacting to him, what they think about Jesus, what they're doing and saying in response to him, uh, this picture kind of becomes clearer and clearer. Kind of like whenever the eye doctor is like, is that better now? Is that worse now? You know, that kind of thing. And so as we walk through the book of Mark, that's what Mark's doing. He's helping you unpack who Jesus is, um, but kind of letting you experience it and explore that question for yourself. This particular section of Mark that we're about to end is uh, the middle of chapters 8 to the end of 10. And this is a section in Mark called the journey to Jerusalem. You start to see Jesus make his way to Jerusalem. And actually, it's interesting that he started his journey encountering a blind man in the middle of chapter 8. Uh, the, he begins this journey toward Jerusalem by encountering this blind man. And then he's about to end it by encountering another blind man. Um, and I think that's intentional. Mark and uh, all of the authors of the Bible, the, the human authors that God is divinely working through, helping um, through all of their giftings and everything like that, they intentionally put things like this for us to see. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a literary design to show us like we need, to, we need Jesus to open our eyes to understand who he is. We need to have our vision of who Jesus is checked compared to the real Jesus as Mark is unpacking his story. And so we get to uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And uh, we're going to begin reading here. So I'm actually put it on the screen, but I won't uh, uh, display it yet. Uh, the text goes like this. You can read along with me in your Bible or on your Bible app on your phone. And it goes like this. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Beautiful little story, beautiful encounter. 
we're going to think about these different characters. We have Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd walking into Jericho, walking out of Jericho, about to get to Jerusalem. Jericho is one of the last towns before you get to Jerusalem. And then we have this encounter with a blind man, uh, Bartimaeus. Uh, We see that Bartimaeus is uh, blind. He's sitting by the roadside begging. So what do we know about him? Well, we know Bartimaeus is poor and needy. Why else would he be there begging? There were times in the city gates as people were leaving or coming in, uh, there would be beggars there and they would... They would just ask for help. They would ask for monetary needs. They would ask for whatever. And uh, Bartimaeus is blind on top of that. So he's, he's not able to go out and do the normal types of work. So he is in a, uh, a poor and needy place. He's even in a low status position in society. A, so, uh, a low status in society. And his name is interesting as well. It could either mean son of honor like Timaeus being a Greek word, a Greek name that means honor. Or if you take Timaeus from like the Hebrew translation, it could mean uncleanness. And not an uncleanness like my shoes are dirty, but ritually unclean. Like I need ritual healing in order to enter into the temple, to be close to God, etc. Well, it's so interesting. It would be ironic if his name was son of honor because he's in this low position in society, poor and needy. Um, but it also would be appropriate and, and interesting as well if his name was implying son of uncleanness. He, he has this need to be clean, to be healed. Um, so what an interesting person already that we encounter. And Mark names him, and, uh, which is such a unique thing in scripture when, when uh, authors name these characters. And so uh, he's, he's of significance here. Let's read on in Mark 10, verse 47 through 48. He says, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's stop there. It says, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, What? Jesus, son of David. Um, So unique. Like, people are walking by, talking about Jesus on the way. He's over there listening, begging, maybe hands out. And then he hears the name Jesus of Nazareth. But he, he speaks out Jesus, son of David. And that title, son of David, is an Old Testament perspective, Old Testament title for the Messiah, for the promised king who would come from the lineage, the line of David, to bring restoration to God's people, to bring healing and to bring um, uh, just all of these things that they have been longing for. And, and they would be particularly, particularly longing for it in this Roman rule. And here, a blind person says, I believe that to be the son of David. You know, he must have heard stories of Jesus as he's been in Jericho. Maybe the other uh, people that he's surrounded with, they're like, hey, have you heard this story about Jesus of Nazareth? He healed a blind person back in chapter 8. They probably didn't say chapter 8, but, you know, he healed a blind person over here. He, he delivered someone from demon possession. He, he uh, provided food for people when they didn't have any food. He did all these things. And, and he's hearing all of these stories. 
And he's going, Jesus, son of, Jesus of Nazareth. That's interesting. And he has this other category in his head for Messiah or son of David. And he's going, these stories about Jesus of Nazareth are really kind of matching my category, this filing cabinet in my head about who the Bible says the Messiah is. And he becomes more and more convinced over time that I think this is the Messiah. And to a point where it compels him to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he had this compelling vision of Jesus, blind though he was, physically. Spiritually, he had a pretty clear vision of who Jesus was. He uh, heard these townspeople, these other people saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth. Who is he? You know, who is Jesus? But for Bartimaeus, it's pretty clear to him. He's someone that can help him. Bartimaeus also had a pretty honest view of himself, pretty honest perspective. He says, I need mercy. God, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, that phrase is, you know, can be, I'm from the South, and so you kind of hear, Lord, have mercy, you know, that kind of thing. And it's kind of funny, you know, used in a humorous way. But um, it really is a very profound statement of, I can't do something by myself. I can't make this happen on my own. Whatever it is, I need someone to do something for me. I need someone to show me mercy. There's nothing I can do to earn that. There's nothing I can do to make it happen. Someone just needs to show me an act of mercy to bring about what I need. Bartimaeus knew that he was incapable. He had a pretty clear vision of himself, but he also had such a compelling vision of Jesus uh, that it caused him to step out and say, I think that person, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah, and I think he can bring me what I need. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's a very vulnerable spot where he can just shout out in the midst of a crowd. So uh, what happens after that? He's shouting out, he's shouting out, and the crowd, the large crowd, maybe a mixture of the disciples, they start rebuking him and told him to be quiet. That's a pretty harsh reaction, don't you think? That people would just, would just be like, hey, you're out of line. You're in this social category. You don't need to be doing that. It's a very um, not hospitable way to act towards someone. So interesting that they did that. They had this, and we see in the next verse, Jesus gives a command. But before that command happens, we see the crowd or maybe the disciples, a mixture of all of them. They're pretty condescending toward Bartimaeus. They don't think he's worth maybe the time that Jesus has. Jesus is a busy man. He's got things to do. He doesn't have time. We're just leaving the city. You know, stop, stop bothering him. Uh, maybe they had a pretty self-important view of themselves. You know, we're, we're walking with Jesus. We know where he's been. We know where he's going. We're going to follow him. You don't know what to do. You know, stay back there. That's very condescending. They were preventing Bartimaeus from even coming to Jesus. They, they tried to stop him, uh, telling him to be quiet. Um, we would say in my household, hush up, because we weren't allowed to say shut up. You know, but that's basically... <laughs> what they were saying to him in, in uh, Hebrew. And uh, so they had this skewed vision of Jesus. 
and of others, of Bartimaeus, of people like Bartimaeus. They were thinking Jesus is too grand, too great to bother with someone so small and lowly and insignificant like Bartimaeus. But their problem was they didn't have a big enough or a small enough view of who Jesus, of who Jesus is or a big enough view of who Bartimaeus was. Their vision was skewed. They didn't have a clear vision of Jesus. And what does Jesus do in response to their, um, you know, rebuking and barking orders to Bartimaeus? Jesus stops. And he says, it doesn't say necessarily to who, just maybe the disciples around him, maybe the crowd around him, maybe the very same people who were barking orders and trying to stop him. He says, call him. So they called to the blind man. And it's a very different scenario, very different words. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. So uh, before this command, they were very condescending. And after this command, they're very encouraging. They're very inviting. And they maybe, hopefully, they have a transformed vision of Jesus and of Bartimaeus and others like him. Where they're like, okay, maybe Jesus, maybe I was wrong about Jesus. <laughs> I was wrong to try to stop this person. Jesus wants to encounter him, wants to meet with him. Uh, we're going to go out and be like, okay, you know, hey, cheer up on your feet. Jesus is calling you. That's a, that's a very different perspective. Um, and before we uh, move on here, I want to I, I wanna make a, a couple points. One, in, earlier in chapter 10, we see little children trying to come to Jesus. And people are, the disciples are going, hey, hey, stop coming to Jesus. Stop bringing people, to, stop bringing these kids to Jesus. And Jesus is indignant with them. He says, let them come to me. And he says, actually, if anyone wants to come into the kingdom of God, they must become like a child first. There were others that tried to come to Jesus, um, and they had um, just so many disciples, all these disciples who have been walking with him. They've had this perspective of who Jesus is. They're saying, you're the Messiah, but he's acting so differently than what their vision of him should be. Um, Jesus has to continually correct them and continually say, this is not how it is. This is how it is. And I just want to pause here for a second and kind of have a group identity statement as Sunset Community Church. We don't want to be like the people before the command of Jesus that were trying to stop people from coming to Jesus. <laughs> uh, we don't want to be those people that say, you need to be quiet when someone calls out in vulnerability or desperation or calling out for mercy. We don't want to be those people that try to stop or prevent people who are in these needy places from coming to Jesus, because that's not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus for Sunset Community Church, this church family, we want to be like this, encouraging, inviting, and have this transformed vision of who Jesus is, a small enough vision that he can handle no matter anything. He can handle anything. He can handle anyone. He can handle us. <laughs> um, we should never prevent anyone who is desperate to know Jesus and to experience his mercy. We want to be those that go out and say, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Can we, can we agree to that? This is who we are. 
We go out to people and say, cheer up on your feet. Jesus is calling you. Um, Because we've experienced that for ourselves. We've experienced an encounter with Jesus that has changed us. So we want to be those kind of people. Uh, We look at Jesus and Jesus comes, uh, Barabbas, uh, sorry, (laughs) Bartimaeus comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? That's a unique question, isn't it? Uh, you would, if you were watching this scene, you'd be kind of like looking back and forth between Bartimaeus and Jesus, like uh, he's blind, you know. But like, you know, um, but I think it's a really great, engaging question that Jesus offers. Jesus doesn't ask questions that he doesn't know answers to. He asks questions because he's the greatest teacher that has ever lived, continues to live. He's the greatest teacher. So when he asks a question, he's getting the person he's asking to, to bring out what, what's deep in their hearts, to bring out what's going on. And uh, uh, we see this question being asked, that Jesus asked this question to James and John. Andrew was talking about James and John's request to come to Jesus. And he said, uh, they said to Jesus, hey, we want you to do whatever we ask. And uh, Jesus then says, what do you want me to do for you? You know, so, uh, uh, and then they were like, we want to basically be in these positions of power. We want to be one of us on your left hand, one of us on your right hand. It doesn't really matter which, we'll, you know, we'll take either, either side. And, uh, and they're, they're coming from this place of, we want power, influence. We want, um, you know, that kind of authority when you get into your kingdom. We, we want to be there with you and reigning right next to you. And Jesus has to say, you know, that's not my to give. Um, but let me also tell you that, the great, that I came to serve and to save those who are lost. I came to be a servant, not to be served. And here he is showing uh, an audience, giving an audience to Bartimaeus, poor needy man. And notice Bartimaeus has a ready response for Jesus. And it's not one of like, I want to sit on your right hand. I want to sit on your left hand. He says, Rabbi, in other translations you might say, Lord, I want to see. And how beautiful that is. Rabbi, I want to see. So, so Bartimaeus had this vision of who Jesus is, compels him to shout out with desperation, regardless of the people trying to oppress him and quiet him down. Jesus responds to him and shows the whole crowd and his disciples, this is who I'm here for. Um, This is why I've come. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. So what do we see Jesus doing? We see Jesus is also inviting. So that's why we are inviting. Jesus invites him into an encounter with himself. We see Jesus engaging with Bartimaeus, and a question that is not just like, how are you doing? You know, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a deeper question. What is it that you really want? You know, what is it that you're looking for? I, I don't know about you, but sometimes that question can be a little intimidating. You know, if, if someone asked me that right now, I might off the top of my head be like, uh, another couch maybe? Uh, I don't know. You know, like, like I, it, it, sometimes it's hard for me to like, deep down, dig into those deeper desires, but that's what Jesus is after. What is it that is motivating you 
to call out to, to him or to wherever we do, whatever we do. Jesus wants to engage with us at a heart level. And we see Jesus providing mercy. He provides Bartimaeus what he's looking for, mercy through a healing deliverance. Uh, I want to uh, pause on that right there. The Greek word for your faith has healed you is the same word that is translated in our English Bibles as salvation. So you might have heard your faith has saved you, and maybe some of you have translations that say that. Maybe you've read that in other passages. But I think that's so beautiful and so interesting Um, because we also get from our English word salvation, salve, you know what salve is, that ointment that kind of brings healing to wounds and all that kind of stuff. Like that's sort of in the mix of even our English word salvation. But we tend to think of it mostly as like deliverance from chains and all those kinds of things. And it does mean that at times as well. But I think it has this healing idea as well to it. What does that mean for us? That means that salvation is more than just a spiritual act or a spiritual reality. It's also a physical reality. There's a word I really enjoy called holistic. And uh, we are whole human beings. We're, we have bodies and we're made of spirit, uh, the breath of God and all these things. Um, but who we are, God cares about our entire being. And our being includes our bodies. And when Jesus talks about the new creation, like the coming kingdom of God, and when you hear in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, this imagery of new creation always has to do with this this renewal of the world, the physical realities of our world, the renewal of all of these things in addition to and more significantly, the spiritual renewal of our lives. So not only are our hearts changed when we think about what heaven will be like one day, our bodies will be renewed as well. Um, and Jesus is giving a glimpse of that to us in the healing of Bartimaeus's eyes. His eyes are spiritually open, his eyes are physically opened, showing us what kind of power he has over the physical realities of our world. But his, his heart is also spiritually transformed, as we'll see in a minute. So salvation is spiritual and physical. It's a holistic thing. God cares about all of us and our whole being, and he's after our whole being. The future, it's also a future and present uh, reality as well. It's not just one day we'll be saved and that's going to be great, but right now, eternal life happens even right now. Eternal life transforms our lives today. Um, So I I think that's just a a unique thing about the word salvation, something that we need to maybe change our perspective on a little bit, not just think about it as something out there, but it's something that God wants to bring transformation to us today. God wants to bring transformation to our lives in the present, and one day it will be fully realized. But he doesn't, but he cares about what's going on in our bodies He cares about what's going on in our minds. He cares about what's going on in our lives fully because he's someone who loves us fully. We see Bartimaeus transformed by this this healing deliverance. And we see his heart's reaction or where his heart is. When Jesus 
says, you are healed, your faith has healed you. It says, immediately he received his sight and then ran off and said, I get to do whatever I want now, right? Like, it doesn't say that. Um, It says, he followed Jesus along the road. His heart, or his response, his physical embodied response to Jesus um, shows where his heart was at, shows where his faith was at. His faith was placed fully in Jesus, and Jesus acknowledges that and shows us, for those of us reading it today, looking into it, the disciples, the large crowd looking at what's happening at the scene, that Jesus is the king of our world. He's the king of everything, and he can bring this type of healing and transformation to Bartimaeus. He can bring that type of healing and transformation to our lives as well. So we see Bartimaeus, his faith in Jesus leads to his healing or his salvation. This physical, this this, uh, deliverance um, of healing. And his faith becomes sight. We we have that uh, amazing grace song, you know, one day when my faith becomes sight. Is that right? I think that's an amazing grace. Uh, It's like a riff on the, the, the scripture that Paul talks about. That we walk by faith, not by sight. But one day, we will be able to see clearly, with our physical eyes, Jesus in his fullness. So, Bartimaeus had this encounter with Jesus. He went from a beggar to a follower. He went from a son of uncleanness, potentially, or son of honor, ironically, in this moment of his life to a child of mercy, and he went from blind to seeing. Um, This is what an encounter with Jesus is like. This is what uh, a typical encounter with Jesus does for us. When we come to him in faith, he transforms our lives. Um, Bartimaeus had this experience, um, and it's this picture of I, I believe and I'm going after it. And, and Jesus responds. Um, he had this vision of Jesus um, that was fully realized in his, in his physically meeting him face to face. And that reminds me of uh, just recently in the past few weeks, we've had um, some really fun experiences um, of seeing our baby being formed in the womb. We have been seeing... Uh, we're having a boy. I don't know if we told you guys. Like, yeah, that's so, uh, it's really fun news. Really fun news. Um, but uh, we, we, as we see him, we're like looking at that ultrasound, you know, like, and you're like, I think that's, a, you know, there's the foot, there's the, t-, and you're just like, that, that's interesting. You know, it's, it's kind of like not having the, the right glasses, and maybe you actually don't have the right lenses as you're looking, but um, as we looked, then there's sometimes you get these beautiful glimpses of his profile. And like, that's my son in there. That's our son. And uh, we've already gotten some idea of who he is. Um, there was one point where um, he was like kind of leaning back with his hand on his head and feet crossed. And we're, watch- we're looking at that. And the ultrasound person looks over at, at me and she's like, yeah, he's doing it just like his dad over there. And I'm literally going like this, watching. And it's like, so 
I've got an idea, a little, we've got a little bit of idea of who our son is. We have this, this perspective, this vision of who he is, even though we can't quite see clearly. We, we, you know, we're only seeing little bits and uh, a, a little information of him, um, these little stories. You know, we're, we've got this little story of who he is, and we're, we're kind of comparing it to, this is my son, and we're getting to know him, and one day we'll get to see him face to face, and that's going to be so, so sweet. Um, it's going to be beautiful. But it, it really does make me think about that scripture where Paul says, um, right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. And Bartimaeus' story is a story of this seeing, even though he's blind, seeing dimly who Jesus is. But then, can you imagine the moment that he opens his eyes and sees Jesus face to face, like what that felt like? You know, I remember looking, looking up at the sky, if you remember the glasses that you got and you're like, this world is beautiful. Jesus changed his perspective. Jesus changed the reality of what is happening in his life and, and, and opened his eyes to see the world in a beautiful way and to see Jesus physically. We, we can't wait to do that as well. One day we'll get to see Jesus face to face. But I, I love that story. It, it, uh, it reminds me of this quote from Dallas Willard. When, when we think of that question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus, you know, what do you want me to do for you? And he had a ready response. I wonder if some of us don't have ready responses. I wonder if some of us are kind of like the people in the crowd when, maybe the disciples, when Bartimaeus starts shouting out Jesus' name. Sometimes people in vulnerable places can make us uncomfortable because we have vulnerabilities, we have insecurities, and we don't want to face other people's stuff because we don't know how to face ours, and so we react um, and it also might be because, as Dallas Willard says, most people cannot envision who they would be without the fears, angers, lusts, power ploys, and woundedness with which they have lived so long. They identify with their habit-worn feelings. We can envision sometimes what it's like to be free, <laughs> We can't envision ourselves what it's like to have transformation in our lives, to overcome lust, to overcome pride, to overcome uh, uh, you know, a, a life just paralyzed by fear or worry or whatever it might be. But Bartimaeus had a vision of Jesus, had a faith in him that he could change his circumstances, had a, had a pretty honest view of himself, I need mercy, and found, uh, it had a pretty good vision of what maybe he could be if he encountered Jesus. That's, all of these things were kind of motivating him. The person of Jesus, his power, was motivating him to come to him and just find out if this vision could be made reality. And sure enough, it was. We um, have lots of things in our lives that we just identify ourselves with. We identify ourselves with our wounds, we identify ourselves with our, 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 the worst parts about ourselves. But as this story is a story of transformation. This story is a story that there is a better way 
for us to, to um, there's, there's a hopeful way for us to walk. There is a place of healing. There is a place of transformation. It may not happen in an instant like it did in Bartimaeus' story. Um, I think those stories are there for us to understand this is possible through Jesus. But God often works with us at a much slower pace, in a more patient manner, where he's walking with us day by day and showing us a new way to live. And we're looking the whole time, we're having this vision of Jesus as we open up the scriptures and we're saying, I think Jesus can do this in me. (laughs) I think Jesus can bring healing to my life in these ways. I think Jesus can change my mental, like he can do all of these things in me because he overcame sin, he overcame death. And another thing about Jesus is he entered into the shame that Bartimaeus was living in. Jesus is going somewhere. Jesus is entering into the heart of danger, which is Jerusalem. The people there wanted to kill him because he was, he was a threat to their authority in some way. And Jesus knew that. And he told his disciples in these couple of chapters, 8 through 10, that, hey, the Son of Man is going to be delivered up, crucified, killed, but he will rise again. And the disciples didn't understand. They're confused. Their vision of Jesus was skewed. Their vision of people is skewed. The vision of themselves is skewed. And but Jesus enters into Jerusalem, as we'll see later on in Mark, walks the road to Calvary, is suffering, being tortured, killed, and but then he does rise again. He enters into the shame, to the woundedness of our, of our lives. He enters it in, brings it on himself, the punishment for our sins, and conquers death. Um, that, that vision of Jesus, if he can overcome sin, shame, death, all of those things, he can overcome my sin. He can overcome my shame. He can overcome the things in my life that I can go, I can be a different person apart from my woundedness apart from my, my fears, apart from my, what, like, Jesus can do that because that's what he does. <laughs> this is who he is. This, this is what he does over and over and over when people encounter him. So I, I pray that for you. We're going to look at one more thing here in the text, but I want us to think about that. What are those things in us that maybe we have so identified ourselves with, we know, we think this could never happen, you know, I can never be healed of this, or I can never find forgiveness, or I can never find whatever. I want to encourage you, Bartimaeus is an example of someone whose life was transformed, holistically. Um, One more thing about Bartimaeus. Uh, We're going to compare him to the rich man that we heard about earlier in chapter 10. The rich man's attitude to Jesus when he came to him was, what can I do to to find eternal life? But Bartimaeus had this perspective, I can't, but Jesus can. I need mercy. Uh, The rich man had this, I've got too much to give up. He was a very wealthy man. And Jesus told him, you know, you've got all these things, but you lack one thing. Give that up. Follow me. Bartimaeus, he had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And we see that, well, that, that verse where it's like he left his cloak behind, got, jumped up and ran to Jesus. His cloak might have been the only thing he had. 
Jericho. I don't know how long he lived there. I don't know how long he was at the city gates, maybe month after month, year after year, maybe traveling. This, 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 uh, this, this lifestyle of never having a place to live, never having enough. But he was like, I've got nothing to lose, and I've got everything to gain. But the rich man had this, I've got too much, and I can't give it up. The rich man chose a temporary lifestyle over the eternal lifestyle. A temporary life of sadness, because he, he went away sad. He was like, all right, I must, Jesus, you know, told me I need to do this. Um, I don't want to do that, <laughs> you know. Uh, and he, he missed out on the present and eternal life that God had for him. But Bartimaeus experienced it now and forever. He experienced it right then. He experienced it as he followed Jesus along the way. And he's experienced it now in heaven. And we'll get to meet him one day. It's crazy that these stories we're looking at are like, we'll probably get to meet some of these people, yeah, which is really awesome. Um, but I think there's something about this that we need to look at ourselves. We come from a very wealthy um, country. I know some of us in this country don't have the same things that other people have in our country. But part of this culture of this country is this individualistic perspective. I can. We really like side with the rich man. And notice when the rich man came to Jesus, no one was trying to stop him. No one was trying to like, oh, you know, like get out of here, be quiet, you know. Uh, actually, he came up to Jesus, ran, fell on his knees and was like, you know, good teacher, you know, all these kinds of things. He had all the right words. Um, but he, he was like, you know, people were probably looking at that going, wow, that's really nice. How sweet, you know. Um, but he was like, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus is like, well, you know what to do. You know, the Old Testament says to do these things. He's like, I've done all of that, you know. So like there must be, I, I've kept all those things. I can do this. You know, like I, there, I've got to be able to know how to, to get eternal life. And Jesus told him what he needed to do. Give all this up. Follow me. And that was just too much for him. Uh, what things are we holding on to that we say, I can't give this up. I've identified myself with this. Whether it's a woundedness or it's a wealth a thing of this world that we're like, this is too good for me. Um, when we have a clear vision of ourselves, as Bartimaeus had, he realized, I can't, Jesus can, I've got nothing to lose. Even if we have everything, Paul says, I have all of these things, I was this and that, but all of it I count as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. So who is Jesus? We've asked these questions, who's Jesus? How do we follow him today? Um, and what are we inviting people into? Well, Jesus is someone who is merciful to the needy. Jesus is someone who is a powerful healer. And Jesus, of course, is the one that can bring our transformation through his death and resurrection. How do we follow him today? Well, I think we can take the example of Bartimaeus, be vulnerable with Jesus, this is what I really want, what I really need, and be vulnerable with others. That's a little more challenging sometimes because we can pray in our hearts, but when we get in front of other people, with other people, it can be scary because we don't know how people are going to respond to us. Um, but I, this is something I've been practicing <laughs> recently that we've been practicing together, being vulnerable with my wife, 
letting her know when I've failed, letting her know when I need help, letting her know, you know, I, be, I, I meet with a few guys here from the church. I'm really grateful for that friendship. Um, Derek is one of them over there. Um, but it's been so good. Every Tuesday we meet, we are vulnerable with each other. We share where we're coming from and we find mercy together. We help each other go to Jesus. We have followed Jesus today by obeying his commands to call the weak and the needy to himself. I, I, I think of that as like this great commission, this little great commission that Jesus changed their like direction, their behavior, like stop doing that, go and call him. Um, we want to go and call those who are desperate for Jesus. We want to go and give them a message of hope. And we want to show mercy as Jesus has shown us mercy. We want to be people of mercy. And so what are we inviting people into? A transforming relationship with Jesus. We must experience it ourselves. And it is possible. Um, and we're giving people, or inviting people into a clear vision of hope. Hope for a new life. Hope for a transformed life. And we're inviting people into a ministry of reconciliation. Um, Paul talks about that. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation. Christ, that God the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and has given us now the ministry to do that as well. We are inviting people into this reunification with God um, and to find uh, healing hope. That's the story of Bartimaeus. There's so much more that we can talk about, and we should do that at some point. But as we end, uh, I want you to kind of just, let's take a moment of stillness, quietness. Come to Jesus. Imagine he's standing right in front of you, sitting right next to you on the pew, or, and asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Let those feelings that you maybe stuffed down come to the surface. Let those things that you've been worried about come to the surface and bring them to Jesus. Let's take just a few moments of stillness to do that right now. Just, Jesus, this is what I need. Would you pray with me? Lord, there are so many different needs in this room, so many unique to who each and every person is, even within marriages, even within families. But thank you that you see into every person's heart you know every person's deepest needs and you want us to draw it out so that we could just present it to you and find 
that you aren't turning us away, that you're not trying to, sh- to, to quiet us, you're not trying to uh, make us um, feel more ashamed and more condemned, but you're bringing it out so that we can say, Jesus, this is what I need. I need transformation here. I need healing here. I need your help. I need your wisdom. Whatever it may be, Lord, would we have an honest and vulnerable moment with you? And we would be able to share that with each other in this church family, that we don't turn each other away when we say we're desperate here, we need your mercy. May we share that with one another and find healing together. Lord, would you give us a clear vision of what you can do in our lives because of what you've done already, conquered death, conquered the grave, and you have resurrection hope, a a healing deliverance for our lives. Will we trust you for that today? Bless our church family. Thank you for them. Help us to draw near to you in every moment. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.